Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Sunday, September 27th, and this is the weekly market update. Of course, first the disclaimer, content on this video is for informational purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. This is all general information and does not address the circumstances of any particular individual. This is your money, it's your responsibility. So, all right, this week in the reality check, I wanted to show this chart. Uh, I thought it was interesting. And basically, what this is is a chart of the global debt to GDP. So, this is the percentage of debt uh, to global GDP. So, all of the countries in the world, their total output and the debt. And you can see, you know, even back in the early 20 years ago, we were still, you know, under 200%, but now it's just been climbing through over the last, since the financial crisis in 2008, we've been on this steady um, increase. And uh, now with this COVID situation, you can see after 2008, the debt really took off, it was up from about 200% to 220%. And now we've taken off again from 240 to 250%, 260%. Well, it's at 252. It's an all-time high. Why do I want to talk about this? Because this is kind of like an abstract principle, something that most people don't think about, don't care about, don't think it has any bearing. But I would suggest to you that um, with the fiat monetary system that we have, this is a very important thing to keep track of. Why? Because with the debts being so large, you can pretty much determine that interest rates are going to be kept low for a long time. And the Federal Reserve in the United States has said that. Um, they said that uh, they're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about raising rates for three years or something. So do I think this will stimulate the economy? No. What I think is going to end up happening is that there's a perception starting to be created and among the intelligentsia, at least in the U.S., that well, these deficits and debt levels don't really matter because rates are low and we are paying it back to ourselves. All these canards and tropes that they roll out. And I think they're going to convince themselves to move towards this MMT situation. Um, I've went over it before, Stephanie Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth. Um, I, you know, just from a moral, ethical stance in a common sense stance i don't think that a country or a people or a person or a company can just spend more money than it takes in ad infinitum now i know all the arguments about what well, we owe it to ourselves and we can print our own money i know all that but there are what's known as the seen consequences the known consequences and then there are the unknown consequences you could most certainly print all the money you want because you control the printing press and the reserve currency. What you would not be able to control is the value of those dollars as they relate to other currencies around the world and other measures of value, i.e. cryptocurrencies and gold or other commodities. The currency would fall in value relative to those. That's just common sense. So, you know, the elites know this. They're not stupid. They're but they have a fine balancing act. They cannot stomach a deflation. You know, you have to remember the United States is an oligarchy. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic anymore. It's controlled by wealthy people, corporations, and 
you know, they don't want to see a debt deflation. But then again, they don't need to see a hyperinflation either. So there's a bias towards, you know, stepping in when the Federal Reserve needs to and couching it in whatever terminology, legalese or intelligent, you know, nonsense that they need to to get the hoi polloi, you and I, to, you know, think, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's why they roll these people out like Stephanie Kelton, these other people. Okay, well, uh, it's a trial balloon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can spend more money than we take in because we owe it to ourselves, that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting at here is that we're in a situation that has taken decades and decades and decades to create. It's nothing new. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. This has happened many times before in history where countries or empires have basically taken on too much debt. It eventually is their undoing. And they can try to get around it any way they want. Now, the problem is, is, you know, we're talking about actionable ideas, something that's actionable. Can you tell me something that's going to happen so that I can take a position and make money off it? The problem is, is these are like avalanches or earthquakes. You know, an avalanche builds over time. The snow piles up, it piles up, it piles up. And then that last snowflake that hits all that accumulated snow is the thing that touches it off. And then you have the disaster. Same thing with, uh, you know, like an earthquake or a volcano. Tremendous pressure builds in the earth as the tectonic plates rub against each other. And eventually, uh, you know, they break apart and create this, you know, release of energy. Same thing with the volcano. You can't necessarily, you can know that something is certain, but not necessarily imminent. And so that's why it makes it hard to trade. That's why I'm not a trader. That's why I look at the trends and just take a position. Now, that can make you sound like a Cassandra or, you know, a person that just says the same thing over and over. But I don't see any way out of this except for what has happened in the past. And that is to, you know, for them to do what they're doing, which is, you know, try to wave their hands and distract people and keep a debt deflation from imploding the economy. Now, you will see. What, we, we're, what we'll see is, you know, we'll have these liquidity injections and the market loves it because the stocks stocks go up. But then that uh, juice runs out, that uh, fuel runs out, and then you're starting to see what we're seeing now, right? We're overbought and there's no more good news. There's no more heroin to get the high. And so, you know, things look like they might be rolling over. We've seen a big pullback in, you know, gold and silver, for example. And all I can say about that is, is that, you know, nothing goes straight up and nothing goes straight down. These are markets, they gyrate. And I said that when we're in this situation, you know, if you want to be in this game, you have to understand one something. There's going to be tremendous volatility, tremendous volatility. And a perfect example I will use just in my public utterances on various stocks like Caledonia Mining. You know, I sold a good part of that position. I, I got lucky and top ticked it at around twenty-eight or twenty-nine dollars a share. The things dropped to sixteen. Nothing has fundamentally changed with the company, except for the gold price has come off about two hundred dollars an ounce, and yet the stock is down almost fifty percent. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's going to be tremendous volatility. If you cannot stomach the volatility, then you can't really be in these markets, and that's going to happen, right? I mean, does anybody think that's, that all of a sudden the Federal Reserve and the various governments around the world have got religion and now they're going to, well, we're not going to issue any more debt. We're not going to have any more programs. We're not going to print any more money. We're just going to keep doing it. We're just, we've, we've seen the light now. We're going to have an austerity program. That's not what's going to happen. But there's going to be gyrations as news flow comes out, as people 
you know, it, news ebbs and flows, and you just got to look past that. You have to look at the what is the narrative, what is the thesis? Okay, it is that we have a tremendous amount of debt. We have more debt coming down the line. We have tremendous amount of unfunded liabilities, all kinds of problems, and uh, we do not have our money anchored to something tangible. It's just fiat money. And the history of fiat money is they all get printed away to infinity. Now, this isn't something that's just here in the United States. I mean, this is the, I've shown this a couple of times, but I haven't shown it in a long time, but I thought I'd bring it back. This is from the Council of Foreign Relations. And basically they do interest rate tracking around the world. They have a nice little map. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. They have a nice little map that shows all the various countries in the world and they show the color on each on each um, um, country that shows if it's tightening or easing. And you know, right now, the majority of the countries in the world, you can see this is the index of global easing and tightening, we're at minus 10. That means most of the countries in the world are, are easing or printing money or have low interest rates. And that's been, you know, the case for a while. You know, um, it started basically late last year. And I showed that before um, with this, this easing cycle. And now because of the coronavirus, you know, we're, we, we, we see the majority of the countries around the world with an easy money bias. How anybody thinks that that is not inflationary, um, well, I don't know. Now, what I suspect is going to happen is more populism, regardless of who gets into power. And I see, you know, one of the arguments is, well, Japan and all these other countries have printed tons of money. They've done all these things and they haven't seen inflation. Well, I would suggest to you that the inflation has been, in many cases, in stock and bond markets. And I think what's going to happen is, is tremendous fiscal uh, stimulus packages. We've already seen it in Europe with the $500 billion stimulus plan that was announced. We've seen it here in the United States where we're just doing transfer payments directly to people. I suspect that regardless of who gets elected, Biden or Trump, there will be a um, massive stimulus program to get the money directly to the people. So that, in my mind, will be inflationary and it will be demanded because, you know, we have really, really wrecked the economy. And the sugar high of the previous stimulus is wearing off and we're already seeing the economic numbers possibly rolling over. So um, they can't afford to have a debt deflation. They don't want that. They can't have it. So they'll do what's necessary. And that's going to be the consensus around the world. Now, ultimately, I like to show these little cartoons for visuals. You know, this is the helicopter money. Uh, I think that's, you know, they've it's even been floated. We could just open up accounts at the Federal Reserve and the Fed can just deposit money in people's accounts. I mean, they could do that. They could buy stocks. That's happened around the world already. I mean, the Swiss National Bank prints Swiss francs to weaken the franc and then goes and buys stocks. They have a tremendous portfolio. Japanese have, uh, buy stocks. Japanese Central Bank buy stock. Japanese stocks. So don't put it beyond the realm of possibility that these uh, countries will do this or these central banks will do this. Nothing is off the table at this point. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And the other thing is, because of this, you everybody is forced now to be a speculator. You know, you can sit there, back when I was a kid and I had grandparents, they worked their whole life, they accumulated, you know, three, $400,000. They get their social security check or their pension from, you know, wherever company they worked at, 
then they also had their savings and they'd go buy CDs. And I remember them, I had to go to the bank and roll my CDs over. They were getting five or 6%. So, you know, if you had, if you had $400,000 saved over a 50 year working career and you had, you know, 5% CDs, you know, layer, you know, it would be layered, of course, it wouldn't all be one CD, but you know, you could get an extra 20 or $30,000 a year in interest income on top of you and you could live a respectable, comfortable retirement. Well, that doesn't exist anymore when the 10 year is like under a percent and you need millions and millions of dollars. You can't get that in a CD or a passbook savings account. So everybody is forced now to shift from being a conservative investor slash saver into being a speculator because everybody's reaching for yield. And you're seeing the same thing with these pension funds and insurance companies. They have, you know, their fiduciaries, they have agreed to do certain things for people that are going to receive benefits in the future. And I think there's going to be a tremendous problem in matching the liabilities with the assets that they have and getting the returns necessary to deliver what people are expecting. So these things take time to play out and you see these machinations. I mean, right now, you know, we're seeing a pullback in gold and silver. I'm not too worried about it longer term in the, you know, but you just got to, it's what can you stomach, right? I mean, things run then they pull back and then they run again. So these things go through cycles. There's some seasonality to them and you just have to be prepared for this. And if you're not, then uh, I guess you can't be in this game. So a couple interesting things that, uh, like I said, from my curated Twitter that uh, I have, this was a pretty neat, uh, I keep talking about this, world needs new uranium mines. And this is from a tweet uh, that somebody put out uh, from Trade Tech. And it shows the, um, the deficits, if you will, depletion of in-ground production inventory. And, you know, we keep talking about these different scenarios. You know, the bottom line is, is that the nuclear industry is putting more plants online. Okay. Um, like I said, many times I go to WNA site, I look at the new nuclear tab. There's always somebody commissioning a new plant, breaking ground on a plant, putting the you know steam generator in a new plant. I mean, there's constant news of new nuclear plants being built, not necessarily in the United States, but around the world. It's happening. And uh, these all require uranium as a fuel. What you'd never see discussed is no new uranium mines. So I know this has been tedious. I know it sounds like a pre-recorded message over and over and over. But this is a situation where um, eventually it's going to turn. It, it has to. Uh, the simple fact is, is that um, you cannot substitute any other material for the uranium that's required in a reactor for the reactor fuel. And there's been no new mines being built. So we're living off the investment that was made in mines you know, over a decade ago. And so we are in a situation where the nuclear industry is in liquidation and no new investment is happening. And at some point, that's going to be a wily, I don't know when the wily coyote moment happens. You know, remember the old Roadrunner cartoons and wily coyote would um, be chasing the Roadrunner, run off the edge of a cliff and he'd be kind of suspended there for some period of time. And then he would realize that uh, he was not standing on anything and then he would fall. That's kind of the situation we're in. You know, we are in that deal right now where there's nothing under us and 
the market really hasn't understood um, what the long term looks like. So I found in these commodity and resource markets, it's not hard to identify the cyclicality or the supply demand deficiencies if they exist or surpluses. That's not hard to do. The data is out there. The problem is, is trying to determine when the market will recognize it. And when it does, it turns on a dime and then it takes off like a rocket. It's just not, the timing is just not, not able to be known, the exact timing. So, you know, patience is required. Um, you really, goes back to what I've said before, you really have to know what you own so you don't get diluted away. And, you know, um, like I talked to Justin Hewn the other day, I mean, he's had some stocks that uh, he's been in and out of in his newsletter. And uh, some of them have had decent runs. I, 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 I'm like this. I buy things that I think that are going to go up. Uh, I look at these as like call options that uh, are kind of have no expiration on them. And uh, I just sit back and wait. I'm a generalist investor. I just do not have the time to devote and build spreadsheets about every single mine when it's going to deplete. I just know that the investment hasn't been there to create new supply and the demand continues to increase. At some point, those intersect and it becomes a problem. And what I hang my hat on is news like this. You know, it's just China. Uh, I'll put an art, a link to this article. Somebody did a good uh, blog post where they put a lot of articles together. But, you know, China, you know, we talked about this before, is ramping up their nuclear program to six to eight reactors per year. But, you know, they want to get to um, 70 gigs by the end of the, by 2025, I think. I can't remember. Or maybe it's by the end of this decade. I can't remember. But regardless, this country is going to be building a tremendous amount of nuclear reactors. And it's not the only country, right? India is doing the same thing. The Russians are doing it. You're seeing one-off reactors popping up all over the world. Poland's now talking about uh, building uh, nuclear. Um, you know, the UAE just commissioned its first reactor. Uh, all these different countries are going nuclear. Why? Because it's clean, cheap, and, uh, you know, provides a tremendous amount of power for a small footprint. And it's uh, relatively safe, you know, more people have fallen off roofs installing solar panels and died than have died from nuclear nuclear accidents. Uh, so it's just a perception, uh, I think, in the West that keeps it. But, uh, you know, we're going to be cured of that, too, because unless we want to regress, we're going to have to look to what is realistic and feasible and not what, uh, you know, is fashionable and stylish at the time. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good uh, long term on this. But like I said, these things, you can never tell the timing. You can you can you can see you can see the storm coming, but you don't know the exact time it's going to hit. I thought this was interesting. I put this on here. Pemex, which is the Mexican national oil company, is cutting its output forecast. This is nothing new. It's been happening down there for a while. Mexico is cutting its 2021 forecast for oil production by 8.4% as the state producer struggles under a $107 billion debt load and the impact of the deadly coronavirus. Even the revised output numbers look optimistic, says Marco Ovidio, chief economist for Latin America at Barclays. It seems that they have not learned, he said, predicting that Pemex will fail to meet the lower target. Why I put this on here is twofold. This is a reminder that oil and gas production is extractive industry. 
and it requires constant investment to arrest declining production. You're constantly fighting against decline. Okay? And another reason I put this on here is because it opens up the possibility of increased market share for Canadian heavy oil, i.e. oil sands, SAG-D operations, okay, that produce oil and ship itself. You know, most of the refineries along the Gulf Coast have tuned themselves up for, you know, heavier crudes that they get from Mexico and used to be Venezuela. So those things go away and then you have to retool the refinery uh, to use the sweeter, uh, lighter crude that comes out of the Permian Basin. So what I'm trying to tell you here is twofold. You know, there's an opportunity for some Canadian, uh, I've been sniffing around. I mean, there's some tremendous values. I mean, Canadian oil and gas has just got decimated again in the last couple of weeks. You know, we saw the report by BP. I mean, you saw BP's share price has gotten nuked since it came out with this ESG thing where it's going to get out of, it's going to reduce its exposure of its business to oil and gas. That stock got nuked. And I think, you know, you've got a low price environment, which dr drives capital away from the, um, out of these stocks. We're at the lowest uh, percentage of the S&P for energy stocks ever at this point. Um, everybody thinks oil and gas is going away. But the thing that uh, I find interesting is that, you know, when I did the research and I got this from a um, Guardian and Rosenzweig, their last quarter report, when they talked about the demand decrease that happened during the shutdowns, the economic shutdowns. You know, we had a view that we thought maybe oil and gas demand would drop by, you know, 30, 25 to 30 million barrels a day because of the lockdowns. And that didn't happen. Even with all the lockdowns, everybody working from home, oil and gas demand only dropped about 12 million barrels a day from about 100 million barrels a day to like 88. So it's already recovered you know, more than half of that already. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that oil and gas is so ensconced into our economy, into our lives, this view that you're just going to be able to get rid of it or not live without it is, I think it's naive. It's magical thinking. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is it's been so maligned, so ignored, um, people that know it the best, you know, even don't really want to be in the business anymore, it seems like, and it's just everybody's so beaten down. So this is a time of where, you know, contrarian thinking comes in. I mean, if you really believe that oil and gas demand has peaked and that it's going away, then that's fine. Um, you should invest accordingly. But remember that tobacco, cigarette, usage in the United States and most around the world, in the at least in the um, developed world, has been going down over time. You know, the tobacco companies are tremendous investments. They've been tremendous returners of capital. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is I don't believe that. I believe that oil demand is going to increase over time. I've actually looked at the numbers and read the literature I've talked to people that actually know what they're talking about. And if we, you know, I have no, I, no doubt that EVs and renewable energy are going to increase, especially in the developed world. Like I said, that's the fashionable thing now. That's stylish and everybody wants to do that. But oil's not going away. It's just so needed for so many things. Um, and it's the cheapest, most concentrated trans energy source for transportation that we have. And if you really get down into the facts, you know, uh, it's 
this is like a tremendous opportunity to make. There's such a such a difference in understanding of of so much arbitrage available there because the lack of understanding of really how um, you know you would make this energy transition, this whole ESG movement. It kind of all ties back to the whole suicidal nature of the West and this incorrect thinking that people in the West have that has just went off the rails with this total, you know, ESG and just upside down way of thinking. And I mean, it's beyond the scope of this discussion, but, you know, it's just this whole magical thinking that goes on and it's just getting worse and worse, you know. Um, but I think that reality doesn't really care what you want or what I want. It's going to do what it what it is and there's a reason why we use fossil fuels and we will continue to use them and i think that uh, the lack of investment uh, as demonstrated here specifically with a company like pmex uh, shows you what can happen you know you can have a situation where demand is decreasing but if supply is decreasing faster the price will go up so that's kind of the point i'm trying to make here in a long-winded way uh, this is an article that was on Bloomberg. Two-thirds of energy executives in the U.S. say U.S. oil has peaked. Uh, nearly two-thirds of U.S. energy company executives polled by the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas believe U.S. crude oil production has peaked, according to a survey released on Wednesday. Nearly three-quarters of executives from 148 oil and gas firms told the Dallas Fed that the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, would have a bigger role in determining the price of crude oil going forward. Now, isn't that wonderful? We took uh, this huge oil endowment that we had, basically ran it up production, created all these new records based on nothing more than cheap money and uh, from the you know low interest rate environment. And now this thing's blown out. And now what, what do you do for the encore? I mean, people better really hope that this idea that oil demand is going down because when it, if it doesn't, there is no backstop. Okay, there's no backstop. You're going to be fully dependent on foreign oil sources uh, if, if, it, if it doesn't. So, you know, um, I don't know if this is a permanent situation or if it's temporary. Uh, they didn't mention that in the survey. Uh, I suspect that if oil goes to $100 a barrel or $140 a barrel again, that you'll see things ramp up. Uh, that's the way things normally work. But, uh, you know, how many people are going to want to get off the couch and, you know, and go back and work in the oil field after they've been burnt? So, you know, that's one thing. Another thing is it takes time, you know. I mean, equipment atrophies, it rusts, you know, ramping things up would take time. And then would the financing be there? Would the capital be there? So I'm trying to, what I'm getting at is, you know, I keep talking about this uranium and oil and gas as being opportunities. And it's like you've been saying that for so long and nothing's happened. But, I mean, the data is there. It's just right in front of you. It's just, uh, you know, these extractive industries, if you don't, you have to put a tremendous amount of capital in to maintain the production levels. And if you intend on growing the levels of production, then that requires even more capital. And we just have not seen it. And this whole shift in thinking that we don't need to mine or grow anything, you know, that's been my whole focus. That's why I love resources so much. Anything you want in this world has to be grown or mined. You know, if you want to have renewable energy, that stuff has to be mined. It's not renewable because you have to go into the ground and pull out the iron ore for the rebar. You have to go get the, uh, you know, components to make cement, uh, the, the, the rare earth minerals for the magnets. I mean, all these things uh, do not just magically appear. 
They have to be, you know, extracted from the earth, processed, fabricated, and transported to site. It's a tremendous undertaking. It requires a tremendous amount of energy. So to just sit here and say that, you know, all this is going to go away because it's, you know, it's not fashionable or stylish. People in hard hats and uh, oily jumpsuits, uh, you know, is naive. So I just think it represents a tremendous opportunity. And these are just more contrarian items in my mind, you know, when everybody in the industry hates the industry or thinks it's going down, um, you know, for a, for a something that, that basically oil I'm talking about here, basically enables civilization. And I don't say that lightly. That's a true statement. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I just think that, uh, uh, a rude awakening is coming over the next couple of years. Here's another thing what I wanted to point out. This would be the last slide this week. This is a basically the NASDAQ composite um, in relation to the S&P 500 energy sector index. And you can see that relative to energy stocks, technology has just went basically ballistic. It's completely, completely outperformed. And it's on a, in my mind, unsustainable uh, outperformance. You've had record underperformance in energy, record outperformance in tech. You know what I think about these parabolic moves. You saw what happened back here. Something similar happened in uh, 2000 where tech outperformed energy and then it came back. But this is even like way parabolic moves don't end well. They end in big retracements. So if you see a retracement here, what you would be saying is that energy would be outperforming tech. So long tech, short energy is working for now. It's just another, it's just another clue that, uh, you know, why I want to be long energy over the next few years. I think this decade is going to be tremendous for resources. I've said it before. Um, you have to be patient. You have to have a longer term thought process. Uh, that doesn't mean tech won't perform, but it, I, I just think that energy is so beaten down and it's so necessary that, and this just is like so illustrative, you know, no one cares about energy. It's all tech all the time. And this is not a sustainable trend. I do not think that tech is going to continue to outperform energy uh, in this manner going forward. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Um, appreciate the uh, support. We're creeping up slowly but surely on 5,000 subscribers. So please uh, subscribe. Uh, please share the, these videos. Uh, I will remind you that um, I'm pretty much available now. These things get transcribed or put on to um, various podcast platforms. So if you want to listen to this driving to work, uh, instead of watching YouTube videos, you can go to, um, I'll put a link to my anchor site. And it shows all of the various podcast platforms from Spotify, Google Play. I can't even remember them all. There's a lot. And you can, uh, whatever podcast platform that you like, you can listen to these on that platform. Uh, that was something that the folks wanted, so we did it. It was easy to do, and we were glad to do it. Um, please support us, if you can, uh, by leaving comments, by upvoting us, by, you know, sharing these videos and these podcasts. Um, make comments on the podcast if you're able to. I appreciate it. Anything helps, because the algorithms want to see interaction, and they'll get us in front of more people. Now, if you like the commentary and you like to know how I think is 
the different ways to take advantage of the commentary that we're putting out, then you can subscribe to an actionable intelligence alert newsletter. It's 150 bucks a year. You get 12 issues. Um, and like I said, I think that uh, uh, this is going to be a tremendous decade for us. So that's it for this week, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.